Good morning. Where would you go in Scripture if you wanted to lift your eyes up to the Lord God who is on high? One of the places you could go would be Isaiah. That's where I want us to go this morning together. I'm so glad you're here today that we can look into God's Word together and see what He will say to us. Um, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 10. Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 10. When I was a teenager, I remember, I think my parents had two new cars during the whole time I was growing up. One of them was a brand new 1977 Monte Carlo. And I remember when we got it, I was just so impressed with it. I was talking to my dad and I said, Dad, this is an incredible car. And he said, yeah, it's okay. And I'm like, Dad, you okay. I mean, I can't wait to get behind the wheel and drive this baby. And my, I said, what car would you want more than this one? And he said, well, to be honest, he said, I've always dreamed of having two cars. And I said, what cars would you want more than this? And he said, well, a 1957 Chevy Bel Air. He said, I've always dreamed of that. And I said, that's ridiculous. That's 20 years old. Why would you want something that old? And so forth. I was just a kid. And so uh, anyway, my dad was laughing and he said, you know, son, it's a classic. I could restore it. Do you know that today, if you were to restore uh, a 1957 Chevy Bel Air to where it was perfect, it would bring between $72,379,000. and I should have listened to my dad. But anyway, you know, God also, he loves to restore. As I look out across here, I see people's lives that the Father has restored. What does it mean biblically to restore? I ran across one definition that actually said, when God restores, we receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. Isn't that amazing? That is some kind of restoration. No wonder the prophet Joel was talking about this. He heard the Lord say these words, I will restore to you the years the locust has eaten. Wow. Has the locust, the spiritual locust of uh, sin ever stolen from you any years in your life? I think all of us would have to say yes to that question. But Jeremiah the prophet also heard God say, for I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Remember Job, he experienced quite a bit of loss, didn't he? And yet Job, it says, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job twice as much as he had before. David cried out in Psalm 23 and verse three, and he said, you know what? He restores my soul. Has God ever restored your soul? 1 Peter 5.10 says, after we have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, you know what he'll do? The God of all grace will himself restore you is exactly what it says. I went on to probe my dad and I said, you said two cars, the 1957 Chevy, but what else? And he said, oh, the 1949 Mercury. And I just started laughing. You know, I was like, Ted, a 1949 Mercury, why would you even go older? What's going on with this? And he said, son, it's what James Dean drove in Rebel Without a Cause. And I'm like, I never saw that one. You know, I don't even know who James Dean is. So he has to explain it to me. The truth is, you know what? 
Like we learned last week at Isaiah 53, all of us are rebels, right? The Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 verse six that we looked at last Sunday said that we have turned everyone to his own way. We've said to God, I don't want to follow your way. I want to do things my way. That is the story of the human race, rebellion against God. Peter reminded those in his New Testament generation that they simply needed to repent because they were going the wrong way. Repent and turn back is what he says in Acts chapter three, verses 19 through 21. And he says, if you'll do that, there's gonna be refreshing. If you'll do that, you're gonna be a part of what God is doing globally and eternally from generation to generation to generation. God is restoring. God is making all things new. So this morning, we're gonna hear not the New Testament, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah proclaiming restoration to his Old Testament generation. Oh, but sure, they were looking by faith into the future to say, look at Christ. If they looked forward, they would see him. Last week, we saw that Jesus was the redeemer. He's the one who paid the price for our sin. The, the penalty for our sins was placed on him. And so God begins this restoration work in our lives. So as we read Isaiah 54, one through 10, you know what I think is gonna happen? I think we're each gonna hear God's voice again, inviting us, would you like for me to restore your life? Would you like for me to restore your soul? Would you like for me to restore your heart? God can do it. So this time he's not gonna be inviting Isaiah's Old Testament generation. He's not gonna be inviting Peter's New Testament generation. He's gonna be inviting our generation, all of us that are alive today, God can restore us if we will simply say yes to his invitation. Let's stand in honor of God's word. I wanna read Isaiah 54, one through 10. You can follow on the screen. You can find a, 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 a Bible in the pews, open it up. Perhaps you brought your own copy of the scriptures. That's the best. But follow along and let the word of God just speak to you as God speaks to us. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit 
like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. I want to give you five blessings that I feel are a part of restoration. Whenever God invites you to let him restore your soul, restore your life, what are we talking about that kind of restoration? What is it an invitation to? Well, I've got five quick things I wanted to just share with you from this passage. They're all right here. The first one is found in verse one, an invitation to freshness. I believe that's one thing God means. The Bible often uses the word new, new. It's like the opposite of dull. It's the opposite of stale or stagnant. It's like new, it's fresh. Do you know that new is used in scripture 211 times? This is just a sample. I mean, there are new songs, new life, new heavens and new earth. There's a new mercies, a new heart, a new covenant, a new creation. When we get to heaven, even a new name. David lost his joy when he chose sin. And so he began to experience dense corrosion in the vehicle of his life. And you know what he prayed? He said, Lord, would you restore to me the joy, the joy of your salvation? There may be someone else here today and you're praying that same thing. Lord, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? It's like the Lord chooses an illustration in verse one. And he compares Israel, he compares the people who, had, who at that time were in bondage over in Babylon. He's about to set them free. And he compares them to like a childless woman. And he says, I know it's been hard. I know it's been desperate. Barren is mentioned. The word desolate is mentioned. But he said, I'm calling you to something better. Something that you would even celebrate and be excited for that you would sing and break forth into singing. Was this just, just for Israel? Sometime, I want you to make a note if you're a note taker and write down Galatians 4.27. Verse one of Isaiah 54.7 is mentioned again by the apostle Paul in Galatians 4 verse 27, and he's applying it to the invitation we have through Christ. So God is saying, if you will let me Start restoring your life. I can restore the joy that you have lost to the point where you're going to break forth into singing and praise. You know, if you trust Christ and you began to experience that joy every day of your life, you know what? It's going to influence your spouse. 
It's going to influence your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, those that are around you. They're going to see the light and the joy of the Lord in your life. And it's going to lead to something else. Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. So whenever God invites you to be a part of his restoration, it's not going to just be about you being happy, you being joyful. God's going to make an impact through your life. That's why Jesus said, you know what? If you will abide in me, then he said, you will bear much fruit. But without me, apart from me, he says in John 15, you won't be able to bear any fruit. You can do nothing apart from me. So the main thing we have to be careful about as we go through life is, am I walking with Christ? Am I meeting with Christ? Do I go to the vine? He's the vine. We're just branches. We can't bear fruit apart from his life. But when we go to him, he will bear fruit through our lives. He will let your life influence other lives. As others see the freshness, they're going to say, I don't have that kind of freshness in my life. Where did you find that? And that's why he's talking in verse two and three about this extension. Something's going to enlarge. And here's what he says, enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. For this is why you will spread abroad to the right, to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. He's saying, you are going to see me work through your life, Israel, but also Christian, God can work through you. But there is something here, I don't wanna sort of glaze by without mentioning it. He talks about, we need to lengthen cords and strengthen stakes. Some translations say pegs. So think in terms of setting up a tent and how you have to have those anchors that the stakes that you tie the cords to and it helps everything stand up and be like that, you know, so it's rigid. Well, what kind of cords would we need to lengthen? When I saw the word stretch, the, the term outreach came to my mind. To stretch, doesn't that mean reach out when you stretch forth your hand? Are you reaching out? God says, I'm gonna work through your life if you will just simply stretch and reach out to those that are around you. And he also says, don't hold back. So why don't we make that a rope? So we're gonna say one cord is outreach. Another cord would be zeal. Somebody who's zealous is not somebody who's saying, I'm gonna play it safe. I'm not gonna ever talk about Jesus. I'm never gonna talk about it to anybody I know because I don't want them to think I'm some kind of radical. But a zealous person says, you know what? I'm not gonna hold back. And so that would be like the cords that need to be lengthened. Are you willing to do that? Lengthen actually gives me the idea of change. You know, we're exploring right now ways to get the messages that we have here further out there to people through all the different technology that's available. We need to always be saying, how can we stretch? How can we not hold back? And how can we lengthen? And then of course, I would say another cord would be vision. Do you have a vision? Listen to the vision that the Lord describes in verse three, for you will. It's maybe not happening now, but he says, you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. Your offspring will, we're talking future. We're talking things that aren't happening now in their lives, but they're gonna happen. Do you have vision of how God could use you, how God wants to use our church? 
I think we need to lengthen cords, but we also, at the same time, simultaneously, we've got to make sure that the anchor is in there, the stakes are in there, the pegs are down solid. What are the pegs? What are the stakes? Well, I would definitely say the Word of God, because he says in verse uh, 1, you know, all of these things. Notice the quotation marks. Who's doing the talking? Is it Isaiah the prophet? Is he talking? Or is it someone else? At the end of verse 1, it says, says the Lord. And he's still talking, going into verse 2 and verse 3. And you know what will happen? If you will spend time each day reading a portion of God's word, he's still talking. This word will speak if we'll just listen. And whatever he says, here's the next pig. We've got to be obeying. We've got to obey what he says. You notice, remember I said about the imperatives? Well, we have to do the imperatives. We have to carry out the commands. What he tells us to do, the more we do it, the more God says, all right, I'm going to make them fruitful because they're obeying. They're listening to what I'm saying. And they're worshiping like we were doing already because verse one is all about singing. God wants us to sing. When we don't sing, we shut down. Something's not right between us and God because when God works in your life, you want to praise him. You want to praise him. One last thing I would say definitely should be a stake. We don't want to let it come out of the ground. It's family, family. You know, he talks about your offspring. You know, your family is very precious gift. Don't neglect them. Make sure that that stays anchored because everything hinges on that as well as upon the word and so forth. The number one place we have to live out the Christian life is at home. Our kids, our spouses, that's the number one place we begin and then it goes out from there. When the Lord sees us living it before our family, he says, you know what, we're gonna expand it. But then the second place could be here, the family of God, living it before the family of God, staying connected. I think that's all a part of the fruitfulness that the Lord wants to do during his restoration. But there's another thing that I think his invitation to restoration is not only an invitation to freshness and fruitfulness, but also fearlessness. I don't think God wants his people to go around all afraid, to be so scared all the time. And so he says quite clearly, here's another one of the commands, fear not, fear not, why not? Why should I not be afraid? Well, he says, fear not for, there it is again. It's like the same pattern over and over again. Fear not for, you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded. That's another command. Be not confounded. For you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. You see, whenever you come in Christ, you won't believe what he does to your past. You won't believe all those mistakes, all those sins, all the shame and so forth. All that insecurity, you know, like, for example, he's talking about you will not be ashamed. So there's no shame over personal minuses because you begin to realize, you know what? God made me. God made, God made each one of you in here. You're very precious. He designed you just the way you are. He wants you to be the person he's created you to be. So the restoration process takes you back to that original, that original plan. You ever say, I'm so dazed and confused. You're not back at the plan. 
Let God restore you to that original plan. There's no shame over personal minuses. There's also, you should not be disgraced over past mistakes. Because look what he says, why not? For you'll not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth. You know what? All of those sins and mistakes I made in my high school years, in my first year, my freshman year of college, ever since I trusted Christ, all of those things are wiped away. It's forgiven. And so I don't have to walk around with my head down being so ashamed and disgraced because of past mistakes, because the blood of Christ can wash it all away. We can be clean spiritually before him. Maybe you'd say, how can he do all this stuff? How can he make me fearless whenever I've got all this sin? Well, see, that leads to the fourth one. It's funny how they all connect and they pull one another forward because the fourth part of his restoration would be forgiveness. Have you ever been around a restoration project? See, sometimes I think we get this idea, let me clean up my life and then I'll come to the Lord. It doesn't work that way. We have to come to him with all the mess and say, I can't clean it up. I've made too many mistakes in my life. Look at this mess. And God says, that's nothing. Watch what I can do. Watch my forgiveness. Watch my restoration. I noticed a couple of things about God's compassion and his forgiveness. One is a reference to the duration of God's compassion. You know, it's interesting in verse seven, he says, for a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you in overflowing anger for a moment. I had my face, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. You see, yeah, maybe all of those things, all of the sin and rebellion you did, it all came at a great price, didn't it? It hurt you. It hurt you. It damaged your life. It damaged the plan that God has. But God says, you know what? We can, we can restore. We can get you back on the right track. And so the duration of his compassion is amazing because yeah, maybe he was, he was convicting you and you were miserable, but now he says, you know what? Now you only look forward to everlasting love if you will enter into the new covenant saying yes to Christ. That's the duration of his compassion. And notice the magnitude of his compassion. You know, when it says with great compassion, I like the way the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it. It said with great compassion, I'll take you back. With great compassion, I'll take you back. Listen, the magnitude of God's forgiveness, the magnitude of his compassion that he's been welcoming back prodigal sons and daughters for a long, long time. Oh, you ought to just camp out in these verses here, verses five through eight, and just see the names that are given to God. But I want to move to the one last thing we just sang about, God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness, I think. When he invites you to be a part of his restoration, he's inviting you to get to know how truly faithful he will be. You know, I like Philippians 1, 6, because it says, he who began a good work in you he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He won't drop you. He won't stop working. If you accept his invitation to restoration, I want you to know that there's a guarantee. And you know what the guarantee is? What's the best warranty you've ever received? Lifetime warranty? Did you know that God offers something better than a lifetime warranty? And you're thinking, uh, I don't think there is anything better than a lifetime warranty. 
Oh, yeah. How about this one? Eternal. Eternal. Everlasting. You see, that's what God's offering us is an everlasting faithfulness. That's why a lot of our songs lift up his faithfulness and we praise him for that character quality. If you look at verses nine and 10, you'll see he picks out this parallel. And the parallel is this. Remember Noah and the flood and all of these things? After the flood, God made a promise. And he said, you know what, Noah? I'm never again gonna flood the earth like this. That's the parallel when God extends the promise to the people of Israel who had just been in exile. Maybe you've been in exile. You've been paying a price for your disobedience to God. And God said to the people of Israel, he said, you know what? Just like I promised Noah, I wouldn't flood the earth anymore. I'm gonna make you a promise. I'm not gonna be angry with you. Can you imagine what that would have meant? Do you know that if you will step inside the safety of Christ and the salvation that he owns, God would say to you, I'm never, I'm never, I'm never going to come against you with judgment and wrath like your sins deserve because Jesus took all that. Remember last week in Isaiah 53? He took all of that penalty, all of that sorrow, all of that grief. He took it all. That's why he offers you and me something that is identified in verse 10 as a covenant of peace, a covenant of peace. And he says, you know what? That covenant of peace to those who say yes to Christ, those who repent and put their faith in Christ, it's permanent. And I do mean permanent. Here's what he says. For the mountains, they may depart and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. I want to close by just Maybe you were like me and you're saying, I don't even know who he was talking about at the beginning of James Dean. As my dad began to explain to me who James Dean was, he began to say that James Dean was 24 years old when he made that movie, Rebel Without a Cause. He was 24 years old in 1955. Since he was so young, I can relate to this when I was younger, he drove fast, he lived fast. As a matter of fact, on September the 30th, 1955, he was on his way to enter a car race. He was on his way to enter a car race. And he said, you know what? I need a, uh, I need a Coke. So he stops, gets Coke, he gets back in his car. I don't know if he bought a Coke for the guy that was riding with him. But they say that on the way to Salinas, California for that race, driving a brand new Porsche Spider. He had an automobile crash at 5.45 p.m. The passenger in the seat beside him, he, he, he survived. The man that he hit, he survived. But James Dean, at 24 years of old, 24 years of age, he did not survive. A young man went out into eternity. Had he ever heard about Christ? I don't know. Had anybody ever told him the invitation, the gospel message? All you've got to do is turn and place your faith in Christ. I don't know. But all I know is I don't know when there may be a young man, a young woman, a teenager. There may be a senior adult. And I might not get another chance to tell you that you are invited to God's restoration project.
It ends in Revelation 21, four and five, where there's no more sorrow, there's no more sickness, there's no more death, no more separation, all these great things. Because the Lord says right there, because I'm making all things new. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to do in your eternity. But Revelation 22, 17 is like God's last invitation. It's the last one in scripture. It's almost the last verse. It's not quite the last verse, but Revelation 22, 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. God, I don't know how he can say it any clearer. He already paid the price. So now he's saying, all you need to do is come to me, come to him, go to Christ, and he will give you that restoration that leads to that place in heaven. Lord, our hearts have been still before you. We've heard you speak about your restoration that you can bring. It's an invitation that you extend to people all over the world. You said you're the God of the whole world in this passage. You're our maker. You made us. And we've gotten off track. Sin has definitely dented and corroded and, and made so many things dysfunctional in our lives. But you can restore it if we will come to you now and allow you to do it. I pray that no one would wait like James Dean. Yes, I know they may be young, but that's not a guarantee they're ready for eternity. The only guarantee to be ready for eternity is to say, I want Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I want to follow him until the day I die. I trust only in the finished work of Christ. That's the way. And so please, you be Lord over this time of invitation. Thank you that you're waiting on us. In Jesus' name, amen.